to the Norwood Noise Podcast. We reconvene here on Tuesday, March 21st, and we have wrapped up the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. There's also plenty of coaching carousel news as well um, to get to, so we'll try and uh, condense this pod as best we can. Um, But yeah, the first weekend of the tournament is over. We've we've had first and second round action that we've gotten through. Um, Very fun weekend, I think. Of course, I'm probably speaking a little bit for Graham here, but I think he would agree. Pretty incredible weekend. Great great way to start it and very excited for the next two weekends ahead and what's to come here with the NCAA tournament. But so far, this edition has been fascinating as ever. Um, so off, on that note, Graham, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Kind of what was your favorite moment? Was there a favorite you know, interview, post-game? Was there a favorite shot, favorite game that you have so far that you really wanted to highlight off the top here? Yeah, I think one of the first games, the Virginia Furman game, um, the ending was really fun and reminded me, you know, how special like this time of the year is. Um, game that seemed pretty much over uh, for Virginia, and then a you know wild turnover leads to a Furman quick three. Like that was pretty remarkable, and it was a great win for Furman and. Um, like I said, like really reminded me of, you know, how special this time of the year is. Um, and I'll, I'll, that's like one of the shots that really set the tone for the rest of the tournament for me um, and being super locked in for all the games. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, very, very excited for uh, what's to come. What's to come this weekend, I would agree. I think our start was awesome because I think – not only, obviously, we got that Virginia Furman game early, but we also got that Maryland-West Virginia game, which is a really fun way to start the tournament. That was the first game of the day on Thursday. Uh, and it was just a game of runs, a lot of back-and-forth action. Um, and Maryland happened to have the last run of the game and really secure it there. So that was a fun one uh, to watch. Really enjoyed <clears throat> really enjoyed that game. Uh, and really kind of that, that opening day. I think Thursday was probably the better day than Friday. We had some good stuff Friday, but Thursday was pretty awesome. But, of course, can't count out. Uh, we had our, our second 16 beating a one, FDU, fairly uh, Dickinson getting it done over Purdue. Um, and it was one of those games, I think it just kind of snuck up on you. Like, I wasn't, like, kind of watching it the whole time, keeping an eye on it. Like, oh, yeah, they'll, they'll figure it out. And then all of a sudden it was like, hold on a second. Like, we really got to, you know, lock in and watch this game. Uh, and then, of course, Princeton taking care of Arizona and then taking care of Missouri, it, blowing Missouri out in the second round. Those are kind of our two biggest upset storylines um, going into the Sweet 16. Um, but, yeah, definitely a, a great weekend. And I think my other another overriding theme that I just wanted to highlight, um, the amount of 
uh, cussing in post-game interviews this week has been awesome. Drew Timmy dropping one. Um, had a, a Florida Atlantic player uh, dropping one on True TV, which I think uh, the reporter there handled, handled that really well. Um, we've had some coaches. I know Dan Hurley was caught on a hot mic as well. I mean, just been awesome. Love the content. I know some of the, the women's tournament content as well has had some uh, – some edgy stuff, so yeah, definitely really enjoying that. Seeing a lot of raw emotion this week, as we always do, uh, and just a very, very fun first weekend. So we're gonna go through each region, region by region, um, real briefly, kind of highlight some things that we enjoyed, that we saw, that we you know that we liked. Um, kind of going off where we started. I mean, obviously the, the couple games that we really highlighted there early was in that south region, that top left corner of your bracket. Um, we got the Furman upset that I think was kind of a trendy pick. San Diego State did take care of Charleston pretty handily. I don't really ever think that game was really in doubt. I mean, it did get close towards the end, but San Diego State, I think, did a really good job um, executing down the stretch. Brian Dutcher's got that team in a great spot. Uh, we did get, of course, in the bottom half of the bracket, the Arizona-Princeton uh, game. Uh, obviously, Princeton um, upsetting Arizona and then Missouri. Um, they're on to the Sweet 16 Uh Absolutely loving that storyline and that run, um, especially seeing an Ivy League because it's the first team since Cornell in 2010 to do this uh, coming from the Ivy League. So you don't see that too often. Obviously, we you know we do get the occasional here and there, but uh, this is our 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 fourth fourth 15 seed uh, in the past. I mean, it's got to be what 10 years. What was Florida Gulf Coast? They were 2012, 2013, right somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, our, our fourth 15 seed in the last decade to to run to the Sweet 16, which has been fun to watch. Um, and then that Creighton-Baylor matchup I think was really solid. Creighton obviously put them away towards the end, um, but that was a really good one that I enjoyed as well. Graham, were there any other big takeaways that you had from uh, the South region and kind of anything you're looking at going forward now as we've got Alabama, San Diego State, and Creighton and Princeton playing to get in that Elite Eight and make it out of the second weekend? Uh, yeah, I, I think um, Creighton you know, scoring a bunch on NC State and then dropping 85 on Baylor. Um it was a testament of how um, how productive this Creighton team can be at times this year. Um, and obviously, you know, you can't discredit what Princeton's been able to do, you know, beating a very, very talented Arizona team and then beating Mizzou by double digits. Um, this Princeton team des- definitely deserves to be in this spot, but at the same time, on paper, Creighton's going to have the advantage. And... I think that this is going to be a, you know, a good test for Creighton to see like how long can this offense carry you. Um, I thought NC State just wasn't scoring well, and Baylor put up 76 points, so the defense has not been there for Creighton. Um, but sc- scoring in bunches in March could definitely lead your team um, in the positive direction. Yeah, so that Creighton, to, sorry, back-to-back games with, uh, with guys with 30-plus 30, 30 point games there for Creighton. Um, so definitely a, a sign in the right direction there with with Baylor Shireman and and Ryan Emhart scoring a, scoring in bunches. Yeah, I I think that um, you know that that will be a really exciting game. Um, you know, I I think like if if Creighton and Princeton um, keep it going like offensively, um, it's going to be a shootout um, towards the end there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so looking at those matchups, Graham, who do you, or is your Final Four team out of this bracket still alive here? I can't remember who you had. I had Arizona. Oh, rough. Okay. Um, well, then with those four teams, who do you have coming out of it? Who do you like uh, coming out of that region now with those four teams left? Um, originally, I had San Diego State beating Alabama, and I still want to hold true to that. Um, I think that San Diego State has shown some really good things. 
Um, they were pretty dominant in the Charleston game, and Charleston put a great, I think it was like a 12-2 to run towards the end of the uh, second half. And then San Diego State, you know, executed down the stretch and really handled the past few minutes. And Furman Ryan, the high of the Virginia game, really could not get anything going offensively. And San Diego State was able to play quick and get their shots. Um, they're playing an Alabama team that hasn't had to show much hasn't seen much adversity in um, the past two games. And I think San Diego State has a good chance to upset them. So I'm going to stay whole, uh, stay home on my prediction. I'd hate, you know, to look back at this and originally pick San Diego State right. and then say Alabama, and, and I should have gone with my gut. So I'm going to go San Diego State. Mm-hmm. And then with Creighton and Princeton, um, I think no matter if Creighton scores in bunches or Creighton scores, doesn't score a lot i think that creighton has the advantage um i think that the second weekend for um you know these underdogs you know these double digit seeds is really d- difficult um because you can you know play off the nerves in round one and ride the high of your previous game um you know in the round of 32 but once you get to the second weekend you know it's a week of preparation and i think that's where creighton will have a lot of advantage um, you know, not a very deep team, so their main core guys are going to be able to get some rest. And I think Creighton's going to beat the brakes off of Princeton. Um, that week of rest is really going to prove an advantage for Creighton's coaching staff and their guys. And I can see San Diego State and Creighton um, coming together in this region. You got a pick early on, San Diego State or Creighton? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, San Diego State. Okay. Love that, love that. Yeah, um, I had Alabama originally. I think I'm gonna stick with it. Um, I do think Alabama will face Creighton. Uh, I think Creighton's obviously the better team here. I agree with you. I think it's kind of, you know, you you play in the moment kind of thing for this Ivy team. But Princeton, now you've got a week to prepare. That's probably something that they're not super used to. Um, so definitely gonna be kind of a weird vibe there. And I do think uh, Alabama will continue to get it done and execute and uh, and get out of that region there. Now let's go down to the east. The as we predicted, you know, both Graham and I talking about how this was going to be the kind of, you know, throw all the names in a hat and draw one out, and you're going to figure out um, which team's coming out of this region. That's how you're going to select it. Uh, we were both right in saying that, and that it's been kind of a, a jumbled mess down there. Uh, but I don't think either of us had the right team coming out. I know we both went Duke, um, riding their hot streak, and completely shocking to I would assume you know most of us. Uh, Tennessee team that has been very questionable all season and uh, injury late in the season to Zakai Ziegler, their starting point guard, has kind of defied the odds and found themselves in the Sweet 16 matching up against FAU. And on the bottom half, we've got Kansas State and Michigan State. Um, overall themes here, obviously the FDU over Purdue game, unbelievable. I mean, seriously, you know, and we both love the UMBC game um, over Virginia. I know that that was obviously a historical moment being the first one to do it. But this is the bigger upset by far. I mean, it's not even close. Statistically, it's the bigger upset. Odds makers had it as the bigger upset. Um, The smallest team in the country uh, for FDU. Um, They were uh, the worst team in the country in in defensive rebounding uh, percentage. Um, And to go up against a team spearheaded by 7-4 Zach Eady and to handle them and win by five is unbelievable so um really really cool moment tobin harris all weekend both both after the purdue game and after the fau game was awesome um he as you know we'll get to the coaching news later but has already gotten the iona job um 
so good for him. Good on him on, on getting that upgrade in that position. And, and just really cool to see um, that moment and that emotion coming out of that game. Moving down the line, uh, FAU uh, taking taking care of Memphis their last second. Um, late layup there, you know, there was some discussion on whether the call made was the correct one, um, whether it was a, a tie-up or Memphis should have gotten the timeout there. Um, nevertheless, uh, the Owls move on there after a great game. Duke, as, as obviously we both saw, um, I know Oral Roberts was a trendy pick, um, but Duke really took care of business there. Tennessee and Louisiana got a little close towards the end. I remember I wasn't really paying too much attention to that game because that was a late Thursday night game, um, and I ended up just kind of checking my phone, and I was like, oh, hey, it's a two-point game. Um, might as well check in on that one, but Tennessee took care of business down the stretch. Kentucky, kind of a no-brainer against Providence. Same with K-State over Montana State. Uh, Michigan State took care of business against USC. Marquette obviously moved on. But then there was a little bit more shakeup in the second round there. Obviously, the 16-9 matchup up top will always cause for an interesting game. And really, I think a lot of people expected FDU after the upset to kind of roll over, um, and they did not. They were leading by five late in this game, late in the second half. FAU really executed on the stretch. Dusty May has a great team there. Obviously, 33-win team. They looked really good. Um, and I think they could really give a, a strong test to, to Tennessee. Um, uh, Tennessee obviously like shocked all of us and beat Duke by 13, um, almost in blowout fashion. Um, K-State took care of Kentucky, and man, I think this is maybe the most underrated storyline or, or not talked about storyline um, in this tournament. And I, you know, this is coming from a Kansas fan's perspective. I think this Kansas State team is unbelievable. I think Jerome Tang has this team going in all the right directions. The vibes in the locker room are great. They have this kind of mentality and confidence about them within the players and within the coaching staff uh, that I think is kind of unmatched across the rest of the board. Um, so very excited to see where this team goes. And then Michigan State, man, the shock of smart woes in the tournament continue. They uh, pretty well handled Marquette down the stretch there, ended on a big-time run uh, to get to the second weekend. So Tom Izzo, uh, once again, is in the Sweet 16. Shocker, especially coming out of a seven seed there. Um, so that leaves us with Kansas State, Michigan State, and then FAU and Tennessee. Graham, biggest takeaways in this weekend. And I guess my, my other question, too, is non-FAU, non or excuse me, non-FDU over Purdue – uh, league, what is the biggest shock to you result-wise in this region? Um, the one that has really struck me um, is how in the Tennessee-Louisiana game and Tennessee-Duke game, a Tennessee team that has looked a little inconsistent, they seem to have really rough patches this year, they're down, um, their point guard, I think that they're up there, and it's a very short list, I'd say, you know, UConn and... Alabama, and obviously there's a few others, but those two really come to mind, of teams that have been able to play their brand. Um, Tennessee's been playing slow. They're getting quality shots. They're playing amazing defense over two very high-powered offenses. Um, it's been pretty amazing to me um, how they've kind of flown under the radar and have just really taken care of business and have been themselves. Um, usually in March, you have to adapt, and the fact that they've taken it to two high-powered offenses and said, like, no, we're one of the best defenses in the country and this is how we're going to play. Um, I think it's a testament that Tennessee could uh, really do some dangerous things the next couple games. Um, another big one for me is um, Marquette losing. Uh, Marquette, you know, obviously we're going to be a little bit biased since we've seen them three times this year beating Xavier fans. But 
I thought that they were very fluid and like kind of like a made for March team. Um, they have a game changer, Tyler Cole could take games over, and then they have just several disruptors. Um, in the Michigan State game, in the first possession of the game, Stevie Mitchell steals the first possession. The ball mm-hmm. barely crosses half court. He steals it. Yeah, the, the broadcast had barely gotten to the to the camera angle. Yeah, like overlay had just turned on, like, and he's already getting a layup. Um, I thought that was you know what how I thought like the game was gonna go, um, but. Marquette game, you know, what may be a rough draw, you know, seeing Tom Izzo that quickly. Um, but Michigan State, you know, riding um, a two-game win streak where they've looked like the better team from start to finish, um, that's going to be a great game going against the Kansas State team that has looked really good as well. Um, I'm super high on them and continue to be. Uh, I had Kansas State in my Elite Eight, and I'm going to hold true to that. I think that um, they have a really, really talented roster. Um, and them going up against Michigan State will be a really fun one because, you know, it's like who's up next, but who's been there with Jerome Tang and Tom Izzo. Tom Izzo, like, looking for his ninth Final Four, which is unbelievable. <laughs> that's so unreal. Uh, that's kind of flown under the radar for me. Um, and up, up top, FAU and Tennessee, again, like, I think Tennessee has the advantage just because of how dominant they've played, but FAU's riding this high. As we talked about, you know, these higher seeds, like once you get to the second weekend, the, the entire mentality changes. And I think that might be a little bit scary for them, especially when you're going up against a Tennessee team that has been so rigid and so um, in intact with what they want to do and what, how they want to play. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Uh, another thing that I just find interesting, I mean, Kansas State was underdogs. Uh, I think they were three-and-a-half-point underdogs against Kentucky. They opened as one-point underdogs to Michigan State as well. Shocking to me that uh, this Kansas State team is still continually being rated, um, you know, as the inferior opponents. But, hey, we'll see. I think we got a great slate here in this bottom corner. Um, For me, I've got uh, Kansas State uh, taking care of Michigan State, although I do really like Tom Izzo, and I I did originally kind of because my original bracket had Kentucky and Michigan State in this spot. Um, and I, I flip-flopped that game for a while. Um, so I'm going to stick with Kansas State, though. Uh, and then I, I think I think FAU is going to get it done. I think this Tennessee team at some point um, is going to you know lose out on some leadership issues. Um, and, and I can very well see this, uh, this Kansas State team getting to the, getting to the Final Four. But also wouldn't be shocked if the, if the Owls did as well. Again, I think this is a team that was chronically underseeded. Um, they're a 33-win team. They've been top 25 most of the year. Wouldn't be surprised if they got there. Um, and we would have to shout out our man, Jack Garvey. I would be uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that he did have FAU in his Final Four in mid-January. So uh, shout out to our guy and just wanted to make sure that was uh, well-documented. Graham, for you, who's who's coming out of this region for you? I think it's going to be Kansas State and Tennessee uh, playing each other. And I think um, the the Tennessee brand will be enough to you know play an inferior um, FAU team. Um, but I think once you get to the high-powered offense that Marquise Knoll's been on and um, the way that Keontae Johnson, um, I just you know saw this article about him the other day about how Florida allowed him to come back, but due to liability, um, he wouldn't be able to unless he took this like $5 million clause, mm-hmm. which is insane that he left the $5 million on the table, bet on himself, goes to a first-year head coach, um, at Kansas State with Jerome Tang, and I think that they are 
set to do amazing things this year. I think that the stars are aligning for Kansas State, um, and that that's going to be a very two fun games. You know, FAU's been so hot, but they're going up against a very strict team. But I think Tennessee, Kansas State, get out of there, move on to lead eight, and Kansas State takes it home and moves on to Houston the following weekend. Yeah, and I mean we can't we cannot forget to mention too that this is the region that is in um, Madison Square Garden. It's the East region, so I think while the home contingent for all of these teams may not be as apparent as we maybe could have hoped for out of you know some of these other teams. Um, I think it's going to be awesome. I think there's there's so many great storylines and obviously playing in such a famous arena. Very excited for uh, this this uh, second weekend regional there in New York. Moving to uh, the West region here in the bottom right of your bracket. Um, I think the main storyline, obviously, uh, Kansas getting knocked out early. And outside of that, other than Arkansas beating Kansas, this bracket went chalk, which is you almost never see. Um, pretty unbelievable there, and that was actually an issue for me personally when I was picking this bracket. Um, I ended up taking Iona to the Sweet 16 because after I went through once and did it by the stats, uh, I was like, there's no way this is going to go chalk. So I had to throw something in there. And, of course, here we are um, with it going nearly chalk outside of the Jayhawks bowing out to Arkansas in the second round. Um, yeah, I mean, my biggest takeaway, and, and Graham and I, we talked about this offline, but um, – after Arkansas beat Kansas on Saturday, um, there was an incredible amount of emotion showed from, obviously, Eric Musselman, who's an emotional guy regardless, win or lose, um, but especially the Arkansas players. And you've got players crying in post game, talking about how you know incredible it has been to watch this team go through the ups and downs of the season, go through some really tough times and, and finally figure it out in the right time. And for me, you know, coming from a Kansas perspective and just from a neutral perspective completely of enjoying the moments of this tournament, that is something that really stuck with me. And I was like, you know what? Like Kansas had their year last year. They had their opportunity um, as much as I hated to watch it for my own team and for – Jalen Wilson and, and obviously for Coach Self not to be there for it, um, you know, and, and that's a whole nother conversation. But to watch the pure emotion coming out of Arkansas, the the locker room and the, and the team and the staff, um, to watch them get that win and, and, you know, show how grateful and appreciative and thankful they were for that moment was, was really, really cool. And I think it just reminded me why I love this tournament so much and why it's such a fun uh, spectacle all year. So that was an awesome one. I think it was a really great moment. They'll stick with me. Uh, and kudos to the Hogs for getting to their third straight Sweet 16. Come on now. Throw a little respect on Moss's name. Pretty awesome stuff there. Bottom half of the bracket, TCU-Gonzaga was great as expected in that second round game. Um, and then this Gonzaga-UCLA rematch. I mean, come on. who You can't complain at all about this. Um, so, yeah, we've got Gonzaga-UCLA on the bottom half. Uh, and on the top half, we've got that Arkansas-UConn matchup, which I think could be very fun. Very high-powered game, lots of possessions, lots of offense, um, some big-time athletes there. So, uh, Graham, any other big takeaways from the region? And uh, and if not, you can kind of roll right into your picks and, and what you think we're going to see uh, out west at the, uh, the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Yeah, I think um, these two games are going to be the best of uh, the Sweet 16. Um I think that Arkansas and UConn uh, really riding some very dominant performances and, you know, Arkansas being Kansas and UConn um, handling Iona and St. Mary's 
in dramatic fashion, respectively. Um, I think Arkansas-UConn's going to be a great game. Musselman kind of trying to cement himself as one of the best coaches in college basketball. And UConn, with Hurley, you know, he's really trying to, you know, take a seat at the table, you know, in his own regard and also trying to get UConn back to what they've been um, over the course of their entire history. Um, I think that game is going to be really fun, high-flying, high high-flying, um, you know, just a super quick, fast, explosive game. And uh, below that, with Gonzaga and UCLA, um, both teams have looked really good. They had to face some adversity. Northwestern um, looked really good against UCLA in some stretches, just couldn't hit shots. And TCU looked really good. It's almost as if they deserved to be in the Sweet 16 spot if they are in any other region. Um, I think this Gonzaga-UCLA game is awesome. That's going to be a rematch of what we saw before. Uh, I'm super excited um, for these teams to go at it. I could very well see um, all four of these teams moving on. It's really hard for me to pick. Uh, I'm going to stick with my gut and say that Gonzaga uh, moves on um, out of of the UCLA game. And Arkansas-UConn, I'm going to go with Arkansas. Um, I was pretty confident uh, how UConn has looked all year. Um, But I I think that this is the year... um, that you know Arkansas you know gets to the elite eight and can see what they can do um, further on Gonzaga Arkansas game is going to be awesome and I think Mark Few's got it I think he started to figure out um, really like his recipe and the way that he wants to play so I have Gonzaga coming out of this region but like I said I would not be surprised if UCLA UConn or Arkansas makes it out of this region those two games are going to be a lot of fun setting up a really fun game uh, Saturday night yeah, absolutely. I think the uh, this Gonzaga UCLA matchup. I mean, you can't get much better. It's in Vegas, where both both fan bases travel really, really well to. Um, and yeah, just just really, really excited for uh, that game. And of course, Arkansas UConn, two high powered offenses um, coming off very, very big performances from the first weekend. So yeah, very excited. Couldn't agree more. Um, I'm just stick with what I got. I got UCLA right now. Um, I got UCLA winning the whole thing, so I, I better stick with them. Um, I feel like I mean, you gotta. You can't discount uh, Jalen Clark injury. You know, you you think it's gonna it's gonna hurt eventually, but as of right now, um, I, I do really like this UCLA team. Man, they seem to have figured out post game press conferences and things like that. Look really really confident. Mick Cronin kind of we talked about, but kind of joking with Jaime Jaquez, like just trying to get the guy to stay another year. Um, not so joking, obviously trying to trying to keep some of the guys intact. But yeah, man, Mick Cronin I think really has things going going in the right direction. Um, for this UCLA team, so I'll stick with them. Don't forget that uh, UCLA Gonzaga game is on the seven, is on the to the day 17 year anniversary of the Adam Morrison and Gonzaga choke fest uh, when they were up or they up 11 with like three minutes left um, and ended up choking it down the stretch. UCLA came back and won. Uh, and then obviously we can't you know can never forget the the bubble final four uh, Suggs for the win. Just just awesome stuff. So I think this is going to be a a great matchup, great two games. Uh, yeah, and I've got UCLA um, over UConn. I think UConn will continue to get it done. Um, but, yeah, I've got UCLA moving on to the Final Four. Um, and let's move up to the Midwest up here in the Kansas City region. The T-Mobile Arena, I would like to note that we do have – or, excuse me, T-Mobile Center. We do have a, a double T-Mobile uh, you know, arena second weekend matchup here between the Midwest and the West. So just want to make sure that was noted. Um but I think there's definitely some compelling matchups here. 
Um, obviously, we end up with Houston, Miami, uh, and then our own Xavier Musketeers and Texas. Uh, two very good matchups, I think. Um, outside of that, really not too much. Again, this this bracket as well was pretty chalky. Northern Kentucky, we got to give a shout out. The Norse gave Houston a, a little bit more than I think they could have. They were bargaining for in that first round game, uh, but Houston went on to roll Auburn. Uh, I was kind of expecting a little more out of Auburn, especially with a very home crowd uh, there in Birmingham. Houston had no issues there. Uh, Miami pretty much took care of Drake. I know they went on like an eleven 0 run late. Uh, tough one for the Bulldogs. I thought the Bulldogs really had that locked in, uh, but. Got to mention, I mean, five seeds went five seeds went four and zero this year, um, first time, and I don't even know how long that's happened. So uh, definitely good on them uh, and the five seeds for showing up this year. Indiana seemed to be in cruise control after the Kent State game, uh, just to run into another bomb at Miami. Uh, Miami did really well. Uh, Pitt got the win over uh, just a really kind of gross Iowa State team, only able to put up forty one points. Um, no real surprise there. I think Pitt. Uh, was a solid team and ended well there. Obviously, Xavier got got a good push from Kennesaw State. I think that Kennesaw State team was very, very solid. And personally, I would have rather taken the push in the first round than the second round game. Um, I think it was enough to wake the players up a little bit, remind them where they are, and the intensity that they have to play with in the NCAA tournament. Um, and I think they they responded well to that, and then and then furthered that with a pretty pretty dominant win over Pitt in the second round game. Xavier getting the second weekend there. Um, I was high on Texas A&M coming out of this bottom half of the bracket. I had them in the Sweet 16. Uh, Penn State came to spoil the party there early. Um, and then they gave Texas a good run for their money as well. Um, thought that was going to be a little bit closer down the stretch. But again, Texas just looks the better team. Um, so yeah, leaving us with the, with a good a good second weekend kind of grouping here as well. Uh, going into Kansas City. Graham, I'll turn it to you now. Was there you know any surprising performances that you thought coming out of this uh this region that i missed on um no no uh but one that really sticks out to me is um how good that miami um has played in this tournament so far um they were one of my you know preseason you know you know darlings that i've loved all year um i ended up you know fitting that i picked indiana to win that game um but i really really like this miami team i think their guards are some of the best in the country um I think it is pretty funny, you know, you think back when we were talking about NIL in the spring, uh, one of those off-season pods about um, Nigel Pack, you know, transfers there and gets a huge sum of money um, from a booster, and Isaiah Wong, who's in the portal, says, I mean, I'll come back if you give me that, and now both players, you know, I mean, this backcourt is made by NIL, um, this, right. is, this is the new era um, of college basketball, and they've really shown out. Um, that Houston Miami game is going to be really really fun, super high scoring, um, and I'm really excited to see if Miami can keep this train going over a Houston team that's looked really good um, all year. Um, and I I also thought you know Penn State was going to keep riding this high powered um, offense, but I guess you know the the saying is live by the three, but you also die by the three. Um, the way that they completely lit up Texas A&M. Um, you know, scoring from all over the court, um, and then you run into Texas, and they—I thought they played a solid game against Texas, but they just couldn't hit water if they fell off the boat. Um, that is your favorite saying, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, <laughs> Texas being able to move on, I think the better team won. Um, and you know, you know, setting up a great matchup with our Xavier Musketeers versus them, 
This is going to be a very exciting region. Um, I have Miami, you know, beating Houston. I think they're going to keep this train rolling. I think their guard play is super special. It's something that's built for March. Um, and obviously I have to roll with my boys. I think Xavier gets it done against Texas. We can talk a little bit more about that matchup in the Musketeer Minute. Uh, and I have Xavier moving on over Miami. Yeah, agreed. I think, you know, fairly nondescript here from, from the, the early stuff in this region. But, man, it's, it's you know, given us a loaded second weekend from this uh, region. I'm going to continue to ride with Houston. Um, one of my three Final Four teams is still alive. I, I think i got to pick them um, all the way through here, taking care of Miami. Um, and then further getting to the Final Four. Obviously, want to ride with my guys down in Xavier. Um, I do have them beating Texas. Um, I do think we can get that first that first game win. I just think Houston's going to pose to be a very very difficult uh, second game, uh, especially in a, in such a quick turnaround with a little bit shorter of a bench. Um, but man, this is just going to be a great weekend. I agree. I think Houston Miami's got a lot of firepower to it, um, and I think this is probably going to be the toughest team that Houston's faced, really maybe all year outside of Alabama, um, in which Alabama came in and just rolled them in their own place. So I, I'm really excited to see that Houston Miami matchup. Um, and Graham and I will actually be there in person. Uh, very excited for that. We're going to be in Kansas City on Friday for, uh, of course, the Xavier-Texas uh, game. But we'll get in early as well. Check out that Houston-Miami game. I think it's going to be a great one. Um, and then we'll obviously roll into the Xavier-Texas game. The nightcap, the last one of the Sweet 16. Um, obviously pulling for and believing in uh, a Xavier win there. I think Sean Miller can scheme up something really impressive. Uh, and I think... Honestly, Rodney Terry's been phenomenal this year, but I think as long as you keep it close in the first half, I think halftime adjustments definitely favor the more experienced, more well-rounded Sean Miller and this Savior squad. Um, and, I, and I do really like where we're at there. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I've got Houston moving on to the Final Four. I think it's going to be a really tough game. Um, I think either Texas or Xavier could give Houston all they can handle. Um, but, yeah, I think this – really, I do think this uh, could be a pretty imp- uh, impressive and and – I think you could make a good case for any four of these teams getting out of this region. I'm very excited, um, you know, for what's to come out of that. So, uh, but yeah, that'll be that kind of wraps up the the tournament stuff. Um, obviously, we'll get into uh, more Final Four stuff, you know, kind of coming next week um, after we get back from this weekend. Uh, but very excited, a lot of great matchups. Obviously, we highlighted most of them for you. Real quickly, we're going to touch on some coaching changes. There's been some big news, um, almost as if this kind of deserved its own episode, but we'll just smash it all in here for one, because uh, why not? I think the biggest uh, news is Ed Cooley uh, taking the new job at Georgetown with Patrick Ewing on the way out. Um, that does leave the Providence job open, of course, and I think breaks a lot of Providence fans' hearts. Um, really shocking to see Cooley uh, you know, leaving Providence when – Man, he had this program going in the in a really great spot. He, you know, pretty consistently year in year out, very very solid and competitive team. Um, and obviously, kind of being from the area, from Rhode Island, uh, really shocking to see him step aside there. But I guess he sees that the upside is high enough at Georgetown. And obviously, you know, money can be discussed as a factor now. And I do think that is worth mentioning. That man, Georgetown's got all the money in the world to spend. Not to say that Providence doesn't have a large athletic budget. Um, but Georgetown has a lot going on there. Um, and then, of course, we got to touch on other Big East coaching news. Rick Pitino is going to be the new coach at St. John's. Um, so, Graham, I'll, I'll flip it to you. Um, let's go, let's say, two years down the road now, so not this upcoming season, but after the next season. Um, 
which team, which program do you think is in a better spot because of these big name hires? Um, I think that Georgetown is in um, a really, really good uh, position to um, take the jump to where they've wanted to return to for a long time. Um, I think that Ed Cooley did a fantastic job at Providence, and now you give him the resources of um, Georgetown. They have the largest endowment in the Big East, and obviously NIL being such a big part of what um, college basketball has become. I think he has the advantage uh, going to Georgetown with that. Also, um, the recruiting ground of the DMV is very fertile, and I think that was a big reason why Kevin Willard took the Maryland job, um, just because of how much talent is produced outside of that area. And I think that he has a really good opportunity to take this program to where um, it wants to be. Um, I think the immediate impact, I think that uh, Rick Pitino has the advantage um, because the groundwork at St. John's is um, a lot more structured than what Ed Cooley is inheriting at Georgetown. While I don't think he's inheriting a mess because of how well run the school is um, and the resources that he will be given, um, I think that Rick Pitino can kind of just slide right in um, to where he's familiar. I mean, he's only, you know, it's just going to be a little bit longer of a commute. He could still stay in the town that he's living in right now, and he said that was a big reason why he chose St. John's job. That was like the, that was like the second thing he said in the John Fanter interview. I thought it was hilarious. Or no, it was the first thing. I think he said that and then the infrastructure, which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah, so I think that St. John's is set up um, to be a better team off the bat. Um, but I think that the long-term picture for Ed Cooley in Georgetown um, is sky's the limit-esque. I think that the Big East is really going to you know, shake up. It'll be interesting to see what DePaul can do um, because right now it's going to be like, well, who finishes last? Totally. It's um, given me vibes of like what we've been talking about you know, over the past couple of years in the Big 12 of like, oh, well, you get all these incredible coaches and programs. Like someone's got to finish last. The Big East, I think, now with these two big – coaching changes especially for two teams that had kind of been bottom feeders for the last few years i totally agree i think it, it kind of sets up for that yeah and I, th- I think another big part about this is you know the brand of the Big East expanding to what it used to be um and it'll be interesting to see like how does this affect you know the way the games are put on tv and the non-conference tournaments and preseason games um because i think that definitely affected um the way that Big East teams were portrayed going into the tournament. Um, I very well think that, you know, the Seton Halls of the world and the Villanovas are, you know, right on level with a lot of like the middle of the road, Big Ten and um, Big 12 and SEC and ACC teams. But the way that those teams structured their games um, really gives, gives them advantage. Some bigger name coaches being moved around and some a lot more you know, time, energy, and resources being dumped into these programs is really going to affect the Big East um, for the better. So I think that it's a great time to be in the Big East if you're Xavier and the upwards trajectory of this conference is through the roof right now. Yeah, I totally agree, man. I know we saw a lot of chatter on Twitter about it. Um, but, I mean, some were saying, like, since realignment, maybe the best 24 hours in Big East in the Big East history since, since realignment, you get, you know, Cooley moving to a huge job. You bring in Rick Pitino, as a coach again in the Big East, and then of course um, you got three teams in the Sweet 16, so pretty impressive stuff there. Tied with the SEC for the most teams in the Sweet 16, uh, Big 12 with two, and then everybody else with one. We've got 11 different conferences represented uh, in in the Sweet 16, which I think is pretty cool. 
Um, and just last note on the on the coaching carousel stuff, just some notable uh, schools that are still open. We've got Texas is still technically open. I think, I mean, I don't know how every school handles this interim stuff on a on a one to one basis. Um, I think if Rodney Terry, if he gets to the final four, he absolutely deserves a job. I think even if he beats Xavier on Friday, probably deserves it, um, especially in a, in a coaching matchup like that against Sean Miller. Um, but we'll see what they decide to do. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they still do a search after the season. Uh, but also, if he continues to win, I think he'd get pretty unsettled if you don't just give him the job there. Obviously, Providence is open. A lot of names being thrown around. I think Kim English from George Mason's the biggest one there. Um, but definitely, you know, worth mentioning. Uh, Notre Dame is open. Micah Shrewsbury has been kind of being talked about as the leading candidate for that one from Penn State. Uh, but will Penn State do enough to keep him? We'll have to see. Texas Tech is also open. Grant McCaslin uh, did interview today. Um, and I think the other one that was being talked about a lot was Paul Mills at Oral Roberts. He just took the Wichita State job, just moving down the road, or up the road, excuse me, from uh, Tulsa there with Oral Roberts. So uh, with that, with him being out now, I wouldn't be too surprised if you see Grant McCaslin uh, with the Red Raiders next year. Um, and then, of course, the Cal job's still out. Um, who knows? I mean, <laughs> who knows what direction that program wants to go. So we'll find out soon enough. But those are kind of the big major conference uh, coaching positions that are that are still up in in limbo there. So with that, we'll kind of look to wrap it up. We'll wrap it up, of course, as we always do with the Musketeer Minute. Um, Graham, let's first start looking back on the weekend. Uh, biggest takeaways from Kansas State and Pitt. Um, I'll kind of let you take it from there. Uh, but obviously a, a tough victory in the first one and then a little bit more of a cruise control game against Pitt. Uh, but, yeah, take it from there. What were kind of your biggest takeaways there? Yeah, the Kennesaw State draw um, is a really rough game um, to ha- to play in if you're not prepared. Um, the way that Kennesaw State plays, super disruptive, super physical, um, could be very difficult if you're entering a game a little lackadaisical or you know maybe just a little bit shook up. And I think that happens with all teams. Um, you know Xavier, you, you know you're kind of thinking bigger picture. Kennesaw State is you know picturing the game itself. I mean this is their first tournament appearance ever. Um, so they came in with you know a lot of um, with you know with a, a lot of determination um, to take us down. I mean this was their this is their game this is their moment and the way they played um, can prove to be pretty disruptive. I thought that the way that in the second half we really kind of kind of calmed down, took some patient shots, um, really got to our spots on offense that we want to be in and super comfortable down the stretch. And the better team definitely won. Um, looking forward to the pit game. I thought that was the game that was w- much more representative of what this team has been about all season. Um, just super high-powered offense. And in the first couple possessions, we didn't get a single shot um, that wasn't like the end goal. Like we got every shot that we wanted. We went down the stretch um, from start, finish, from tip off all the way down to the final whistle. I thought that. Almost every trip down, we were getting a look or starting to get to the um, look that we wanted. Um, Pitt really showed no adversity for us just because of how dynamic our offense has been. And I think that really sets us up well um, with a lot of good forward momentum going into a Texas team. Yeah, I totally agree. I think for me the biggest takeaway was, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, but I definitely preferred getting that that smack-in-the-face challenge early, just reminding the guys. I know these are veteran guys, but a lot of them obviously haven't played the tournament in a while. Um, most of them haven't, and a couple that have, it's been you know a few years. 
just a good reminder that hey, this team, this tournament rewards toughness. Uh, it rewards communication, um, and it, re- it rewards heart. Teams that play with big heart, um, and so obviously you saw that in a great response in that Kennesaw State uh, game, not giving up, being able to respond to adversity like that. I think is a really good key experience to have going into a second weekend where you're facing a team like Texas and you're going to have adverse moments. You're going to have times when you're down and you're getting punched in the face by a physical team. So I'm glad that we got that early against Kennesaw State. But then I think we also got a great combo in in having the pick game where you do execute your game plan. You do hit the shots that you want and reminding you that you can play at that high level and score 84 points in a game against one of the best teams in the Power 5 conference. So I do think that was kind of a good one too on experiences and games um and i do think that that xavier's being a little bit overlooked in this game against texas there hasn't been a lot of talk um you know about the possible upset i think people are kind of just writing in texas off the bat um and i definitely think that it's going to be a closer game than i think a lot of people think so very excited for this this upcoming weekend i do think it's going to be a great game against texas um and obviously, you know, an unreal atmosphere. I think Graham and I were talking about it. Obviously, Texas is going to travel incredibly well. Going to have a great brand there. But outside of that, I do think Xavier has the second best crowd in Kansas City. Um, you know, with Houston, Miami, having a little bit more of travel uh, and just a little bit, um, not necessarily smaller brands, but you know, proximity-wise, um, definitely think Xavier is going to travel very well. And I'm very excited to see what. Uh, the Kansas City weekend brings for for the Xavier Musketeers and really for for all four of these teams. So, on that note, though, we're gonna wrap it up. Thank you all for joining us. Obviously, for an incredible um, first weekend recap, coaching carousel talk, lots of good stuff in the world of college basketball. We'll of course be back with you next week um, to recap uh, a great Sweet Six, Sweet Sixteen Elite Eight. Of course, um, probably looking at Monday, Tuesday, uh, somewhere in there as as usual. Um, and then, of course, getting ready for the uh, for the Final Four in that late March, first week in the April action. So, uh, again, thank you all for joining us uh, on the Norwood Noise podcast. Again, Tuesday, March 21st. It's uh, been a great episode, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you here very, very soon, early in the week, next week. Enjoy the games this weekend. Cheers.